What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special repeat guest, Trent Holbert. I've had him on before, and it's always a pleasure talking to Trent. He's a great guy, great friend of mine. We dive into lots of different things. We dive into a little bit of his backstory, but we covered that most on the first podcast with him, so definitely check that one out if you haven't listened to it already. We talked about what he's working on now. Uh, at the time of his first recording, he was living as a minimalist in a little camper with his family. He's since moved into a home. He's moved states. He's done a whole bunch of traveling across the whole world, building these gyms. We talk about that. We talk about his uh, new found interest and passion, which is genetic testing, how to really flesh out the information and data you gather from doing that and what you can garnish from that information. We do talk about minimalism. We talk about faith. We talk about the new book that he wrote. We talk about a little bit of everything. I have utmost respect for Trent. He is an amazing character. And I think you will enjoy this conversation with him. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this podcast with Trent Holbert. And we are live. Trent, how are you, man? Hey, man. Great to uh, be with you, Robert. Great to have you back. Great to have you back. I um, spent this past, I guess, two weekends ago now, we were at the Keto at the Cabin conference, so I got to see your smiling face then. That was uh, always a pleasant surprise. <laughs> yeah, it was a great time, actually. I really enjoyed myself. That was cool. It was. I enjoy the uh, smaller setting conferences like that. It's just more more hands-on, more interaction. I feel like those can't go wrong with something like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed my time just um, with you and everybody and kind of sitting around a, a fire, like in a cabin. You can't beat that. You're sitting in a in a in a log cabin by a wood fire come mm -hmm. on i mean that's just awesome yeah it's the little things in life like that man it's all you need it's all you need <laughs> so for anybody that hasn't listened to the first podcast with you i definitely encourage you to do so you since then you've had a lot of changes happen you've you've moved you started opening up these gyms you've been doing traveling non-stop you wrote a book uh so i kind of want to just dive in and, and just pick up in the middle of it all kind of give people some context and and for anybody that hasn't heard your original podcast with me, you want to give some insight into your background a little bit? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I mean, I mean, goodness. That when we recorded that, I think I was still living in Kentucky. I believe so. And yeah. As a matter of fact, back then, dude, I was. Me and my family were living in a camper full time, and um, it wasn't because we had, you know, gone broke or anything. We had just chosen a lifestyle right we were mm -hmm. homesteading living in a camper kind of minimalist and loving it yeah that's super cool man I, I i aspire to do something similar like that at some point in my life we you know it's one of those seasons where you you make you make subtle changes but they add up and you realize one day that you've just made so many huge changes and so like we had sold our house and uh downsized and homeschooling the kids and just doing all of these things. And one day we woke up and we realized we are actually, we're debt free and totally free. Mm -hmm. um, and so we ended up moving to Asheville, North Carolina. And the move down here a couple of years ago really set into motion a lot of changes in my life. Um, and so, yeah, like you mentioned, the world travel, the, the writing, speaking, um, you know, still doing all the coaching and everything. Uh, it's just kind of, it's kind of wild because a lot of that wasn't planned or nearly all of it wasn't planned. It was just, it was just kind of like things were set in motion, you know, because you didn't have the anchors that tethered you back. So kind of where we are now, we're living in the Blue Ridge mountains and, um, not in a camper. We're in a, we're in a house, uh, still homesteading though. We still got our animals, uh, different animals. Uh, but yeah, we're loving it and life is good right now. That's that's the best way, man. Like when when things happen, kind of without a plan, almost like you just roll with it. And I'm I'm all for being strategic, and I I am very much so a strategic style person. But a lot of the great things in life happen on a whim, and they just happen out of happenstance. It's it's funny how it works out. Yeah, I mean, I I try to dot my eyes, cross my t's, you know, but that's not as exciting as just kind of. You know, you prepare. I, I, I live by like I call it the thirty-eight special uh, mentality: hold on loosely, but don't let go. Mm -hmm. like and that. so I, I try to approach life that way. You know, things are going to happen. Things are going to come, both good and bad. And that stoic that's in me uh, just kind of rolls with it. You know, and take the good and and celebrate it and rise to that. And uh, you know, take the bad and respond the best you can with virtue and and uh, 
like you know like you said just keep rolling with it what are some very specific like character traits or things that you've learned about yourself or learned you know with the family while you were living in the in the camper as a minimalist that you've continued to kind of adopt and and bring into practice now that you're no longer living in a camper yeah and you know we never really sought out to be minimalists and uh Dr. Doug McGuff wrote a book several years ago called uh, Body by Science. Have you ever read that? I have like, not. It's, it's, so it's based on Arthur Jones' um, approach to fitness back in the 70s called the minimal effective dosage. Mm -hmm. And um, this is going to make sense in a moment. I know I'm talking about a fitness book and building muscle, but uh, Doug McGuff brings out of the book this uh, concept of time under tension and extremely slow movement you know, under weight. And the whole premise of the book is to be able to build muscle with the least amount of, um, I get not effort demanded, but um, dosage, I guess, demanded. Mm -hmm. And so I started to apply that to life. You know, I had this philosophy and this idea of, you know, I don't want to become a minimalist just for the sake of minimalism, because I think that's kind of depressing. But what what is the least we can get away with? and still be fulfilled like what does that look like and so what we learned was how little material it takes in life to be completely satisfied and so we're living in a at the time we were living in a a, a small camper for with a family of four and um you know so we we decided when we were paring down you know what what are the essentials that we would keep like what are those things that we feel like that we, we want to hold on to that we need that, that still supplies fulfillment and satisfaction. And, and surprisingly, it was um, very few things like what, and I think everybody knows this. When I say this, they're going to be like, well, of course, um, not to sound cliche, but discovering that, that family and relationship is everything. Mm -hmm. Right. So like my kid, you know, we're living in a camper and I've got two boys um, that were, what was it like? Um, I think 11 or 10 and, maybe 14 at the time um, or nine and 13 maybe. And we just grew even closer. So we were really walked away with that. Just re real remembering, I think, or realizing even deeper, just how important uh, family and relationships are in comparison to things, to stuff, to material. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Like we live in, in a day and age when so much emphasis is placed on, you know, physical products and things that you really can't do much with like just it just rubs me wrong man like i see so many people fixate on the the most trivial of superficial things and they they you know stake this importance on it. they put it on a pedestal but then when they get that thing there's no there might be some temporary happiness and fulfillment that comes from it but it's never long lived and i'll even i mean for me personally i've really tried to look at everything that i purchase and look at the lens of if I don't use this on a regular basis for the business or for my personal, you know, just development, then it's probably not worth having. And I think that has, has been really good for me to just avoid accumulating all this clutter. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like anything, like anymore, anything that I accumulate needs to add value to my goals and not just sit in a corner and collect dust. <laughs> Totally. I mean, honestly, that's kind of like how you and I look at nutrition, too. Like, if it's not bringing our overall health and well-being to a better place, then we just tend to avoid it completely. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is. I mean, nutrition is like anything else. It's it's either um, it's either a deposit or a withdrawal, right? You know, so, I mean, it's either working toward your goals or against your goals. So oh. it's made me a lot more mindful. You know, even of that. And, you know, it's weird because when you, you know, you brought that up, um, my plate has like my, the food that I would normally eat has become much more, um, I guess, minimal. Like it's not as varied as it used to be mm -hmm. um, because I'm just eating a little bit more, I think, just mindful and, and not just, you know, so I like variety, but, but, you know, you, I'm, I'm happy with having less um, variety actually. Because I know what I'm eating, I know the quality, I know what it's doing. Yeah, there's less decision fatigue there too. Like if you're constantly going back and forth as to having so many options and what you're going to eat, like there's so much decision fatigue there. And there's been so many studies done about how 
willpower is a finite resource and each time you go through the day you kind of you know take away from that willpower a little bit you strip away from it and so you're basically left with nothing you have to recharge for the next day well if if you're limiting your decision fatigue by choices that you know are not bringing you closer to your overall goal then you have so much more willpower and just ability by the end of that day for sure yeah i i try to limit what I have to make decisions for. Absolutely right. I look at, I look at people like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, um, people. Though I, I think uh, even Tim Ferriss did um, kind of a survey of, of top performers in this area, like their habits and everything. And they, they essentially, you know, you're going to see them wearing the same, same T-shirt every day, doing the same clothes, kind of the same routine mm-hmm. for that exact reason. And so for lunch, you know, my decision might be, do I want, do I want a beef patty or do I want loose ground beef? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep it in simple, man. That's the way to do it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So for anybody that didn't listen to the first podcast, like what what got you into this kind of dietary? We don't have to talk about diet specifically, but I feel like you, like I'm reading your book right now. Um, I meant to have read more of it before we recorded, but it's been kind of a crazy week. But I'm reading your book, and it's funny how everything happens so holistically in nature. Like your your life's crazy, and when your life's crazy, your your training is in the tubes, your nutrition is down the tank, and then you you start to find a way to make everything work in you know symbiosis with one another, and then everything gets better. Be honest, you're still in the forward, aren't you? No, no, no. <laughs> I've I've gotten I've gotten farther than that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, thanks for reading my book, by the way. Um, so, you know, I guess for me, it, it uh, the, where I am now came out of a place where, well, I just destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a choice. I, I literally, I mean, I, 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 I baked myself, dude. I mean, I was, I was completely fried. Um, and not, you know, I didn't have a moral failure or anything like that. It was just misplaced identity. Um, you know, a work ethic that wouldn't quit, but that, and I say that work ethic is good, of course, but there's got to be recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, so I lacked that completely. Um, I, I felt like I had that ridiculous uh, mindset that recovery is for the weak. And I used to, I used to use this saying, don't worry about the mule, just load the cart. Mm-hmm. Um, that only worked for a while. And, um, and then the next thing, like the next statement that I had to say often was uh, fake it until you make it because the cart was just overloaded. I couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't want people to know that I couldn't do it anymore. And that's how sick I was. That's I was pretty depraved and being a high performer. Um, but that didn't translate over into being healthy at all. And uh, so physical health um, coupled or, you know, lack of health and coupled with, um, stress, you know, emotional turmoil and even spiritual, you know, because I've got a deep faith. And when these things, when the wheels started to come off, I've got these questions, you know, God, where are you? Or, you know, what are you doing to me? Like, are you attacking me? Or, you know, all these questions. And so everything, like you said, holistically began to play into my, uh, my destruction. Uh, So when, I guess when you just burn the house to the ground, there's no place to start than to build a new foundation and start again. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that lately as, as far as like the the whole recovery aspect of things and and kind of pacing yourself because I am very much so like an all-in or all-out type of personality. Like I am very much a go-getter and I've definitely struggled with that in the past in the sense that I would, I would set myself up to burn out. Like I would, you know, have the whole fake it till you make it mindset. I would just go nonstop. Like sleep was an afterthought. I would literally not sleep for three days at a time and just work, work, work. But then inevitably you come to that fourth day and then you're just totally screwed and non-functional for 48 hours. And I've since then kind of adopted this approach to pacing myself and really, you know, stripping all the extraneous stuff that does not add value to my life so that I can further emphasize the things that do, and then that's made me so much more productive in my working hours. And I think at the end of the day, you have to look. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to just look and see which is lending itself to more overall productivity. And without a, without a doubt, 
you know, having that more of a paced, well thought out, you know, progress is is always going to win this burnout mentality. Yeah, it's humbling uh, because I don't know if it's male ego. I like I don't want to be sexist. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just uh, you and me, Robert. Maybe you know we we come from we're cut from the similar cloth. But even in my training, um, I've had to come to like I had to realize and admit to myself that I actually do better uh, with less workouts less quality workouts over more less than quality workouts because I had that you know back in my 20s you know you're able to go 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 and mm-hmm. I'm working out but man goodness today I need I need the recovery and it took a while for me to humble myself enough to realize and admit that but these days I'm doing like three, you know, maybe three days working out and that's it. It's yeah. like half of what I used to do volume wise, but I feel better, I perform better, I'm recovering better. And there's so much, I mean, you're doing so many other things in life too. Like you have to kind of look at life through the lens of, you know, what's the priority now? How can I maximize and optimize for that thing? And then like, I, I like to look at life as having multiple pillars and it doesn't make sense to be able to fill and raise each of those pillars simultaneously at the same rate like one pillar is going to have to kind of support the others at times so that you can focus on what the priority is so like in your life right now you know strictly looking at physical fitness may not be the number one priority so that that pillar so to speak has to kind of rest on the foundation that you've built up to this point where you can maintain it and then focus on the things that are more higher priority yeah, I live by this. Um, how many pillars did you just mention? So I I think everybody's got like their own number. I personally have like yeah. five standard pillars in my life. I had six. Now I've got seven. And I try to look at these as, and I may not remember them right off the top of my head, but physical, spiritual, emotional, social, environmental, intellectual. And then the seventh one is rest. That's the newest one that I we, you know just kind of added in there because I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. And so... So those are my pillars, and what I typically look at is I look at it as an illustration, as if it was one bucket, um, and I label all around that bucket these pillars, or these these um, you know these silos or whatever, and where their level is. And so when I start pouring water into the bucket, the lowest one is where the water is going to spill out. So I may be really strong on the emotional side over here, but um, you know, the, maybe the, uh, the social side or the intellectual side is the weakest at the moment. Well, that, that's where the water is going to pour out. And so I will go and focus a little bit more on that end. I like that. Do you have any like systems of, you know, checks and balances, so to speak, where you can kind of, cause like if you're, if you're just constantly in the go, it's hard to, to be reflective and actually see that happening proactively. So like, do you have any kind of systems of checks and balance where you kind of are more conscious of this? Yeah, I do this thing called the plus one, and that way I don't get overwhelmed. So I'll list out all of these domains. So like I mentioned, the spiritual, emotional, physical, uh, intellectual, et cetera. I'll list those out, and then I'll do what's called a plus one. So I'm only adding one thing per each. And so I try to give you some examples because this year or right now my plus ones. um, So physical, here's a good one. So physical is... You know, I live two miles from town, and uh, so I've, I've decided to pedal more, drive less, mm-hmm. um, which kind of works with the environmental too. But uh, so, so if I need to go to town for something and I don't have to, you know, bring a load back or, of anything, groceries or anything, then it's just easier. It's just better. You know, it's more exercise. It's just get on a bike and ride. Um, my uh, spirit, let's see, my spiritual is I implemented um, a new fasting routine this year. And so fasting for two non-consecutive days a week, three consecutive days a month, and one consecutive week or one week a year, uh, implementing that. And then the emotion, or let me think about this, the, uh, yeah, the social, uh, my plus one is to be a little bit more proactive in inviting people into my space, like my house because and this is you know i i i tend to uh i feel like i'm like daniel boone he said one time um 
that if he could see the smoke from another man's chimney, it was time to move. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not an isolationist. I love people, but my home is like, that is where I isolate to. Um, so my social, I'm, I'm starting to bring people into that, that uh, intimate space a little bit more. And then uh, my intellectual, I tend to get stuck reading one genre of book, which for me is typically um, science-based, nutrition, physical fitness, health, you know, those things. Like I have a, a college textbook of nutrition, apply, uh, uh, functional nutrition beside my bed. Like that's the stuff that I sit up late at night and read. Mm-hmm. And so intellectually, uh, I've challenged myself to start reading something outside of um that wheelhouse and so what i like i hate to read nonfiction, fantasy uh thing you know just i just don't get into it it's really weird but uh so i've decided to challenge myself in that area so for me i you know it's just those plus ones i'll list them out and then uh, uh that way i can track it and i don't get overwhelmed because it's just one thing but it's across all seven spheres i like that i like that what, what are you reading now that's uh fiction um let's see what have i got on my it is i just did a podcast a few weeks ago with this guy that i just fell in love with um and it's called unexpected navigating life's unforeseen terms by ken roberts and um uh it's really because i you know i followed the philosophy of stoicism and uh christian stoicism Mm -hmm. and so ken ken roberts is uh he's a former pastor now life coach leader and author and wrote a really good book about um, you know, how, to, how to embrace when life you know, throws you these unexpected turns, some really cool stuff, principles. And also one that I've been digging into a lot is, and we were just there, Derek Ty. Mm-hmm. He wrote um, The Lord's Prayer for Entrepreneurs, and that's been a game changer for me in just helping me through marketing, business, um, you know, and all, all that kind of thing. That's been really cool. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Derek Ty. He's an incredibly bright guy. Goodness, he's so smart. It just <laughs> when I listen to him for five minutes, I'm like, that was worth paying a ticket to go to a conference for. Totally, totally. What about like your relationship with like your wife and your your kids? Like, how do you mitigate getting just overblown and you know kind of overstretched with all the other things you have going on in life? How do you work building that relationship in uh, kind of into your system? You mean like the relationship with my family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're really close. Uh, the camper helped to uh, <laughs> to do that, but no, seriously, we you know we homeschool the boys, and so they're around the house all day. I work out of the home uh, because, well, when I'm at home, and so I don't have an office somewhere else. I just keep it in the house, so that way I'm still interacting with the family throughout the day. Um, and we just. not forcefully we mindfully spend a lot of quality time together make sure that we get away with each other um like the other day um what were we doing you know all this um viral coronavirus stuff is getting ramped up and uh, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time going into the um crowds um and and we i don't want to get into all that but um you know people just drive me crazy sometimes yeah totally (laughs) and uh the kids they were like dad let's go for a drive you know we live in one of the most beautiful places in the nation, I I think. And so we just took the car and drove up onto the, uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway um, and just did a little auto tour, just driving around the back roads and into the mountains of Asheville and around Asheville and, and uh, then stopped off at a coffee shop and got some kombucha and, nice. um, and then eventually made our way back to the house. And, you know, so I think it's just intentionally for me, we, we just try to intentionally, um, spend that quality time with each other and protect our schedules and our lives from the invading world coming in and interrupting what we've got going on. Um, it takes a lot of discipline, but, uh, you know, I, I, and, and from the, you know, the past when I really burned myself out, it was that there was a conclusion in my mind that made me realize that it, because I wasn't necessarily looking toward the past, but I was looking toward the future and saying, you know, I want to be around, for my kids, I want to I want to be able to play with them. I want to be able to experience life with them. Getting ready to, well, I've already been teaching my um, new teenager to drive a car, and those are special moments. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot more special moments, and so I, I want to be around for that, and not just physically, but emotionally. Um, I've seen a lot of people sacrifice family for success, and 
to be honest with you, if you sacrifice family, then you'll never know success. Um, and so I just, we're very, um, I think, fiercely protective of our time together. Has it always been like that or did it? It has. Yeah. It has. Yeah. I mean, even, even when I was burning the candle at both ends, I, I wouldn't say that I was, of course, I would never be the perfect father, perfect husband, but um, uh, it was one of those things that, um, you know, I grew up that way. You know, my, my family, close family, country, you know, farmers and, and blue collar workers. And we have always had those, those values, you know, uh, supper at the table was important mm -hmm. and, um, you know, gathering together on Sunday, uh, family dinners, potlucks, um, holidays, all of that's always been important. So family has just always been, um, a really big value in our life. So I, I don't, I never really had to have it challenged. It was just kind of a, um, uncompromising principle in my life. I want to talk about homeschooling, man, if you, if you're, if you're willing, because I think that is something that's gained a lot of traction and popularity now. And I look at what you're saying from like putting some, such an importance and a value in fostering these relationships and these memories with your kids. So like, I feel like that is the direction I'm kind of leaning towards, which is so counter to how I was raised. I mean, my, my dad is in academia. You know, he's a professor. He's always kind of pushed the importance of uh, education through the lens of like a, you know, organized uh, system. But I see kind of just the direction things are trending and I'm not sure that I want to, you know, I, I want my kids, my future kids to be very, um, you know, well-rounded and have all the opportunities that anybody would. But I think I could probably offer them more opportunities outside the context of traditional curriculum. Yeah, we, you know, it's odd. Growing up, I was, I was in public education my entire life and homeschooling back then wasn't even a thing, right? Um but in our kids, we put them in the public school. There's a few reasons that we we took them out, but it it didn't have to do, it did not have to do with the quality of teachers. Um, I wholeheartedly love the public school teachers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so it's not that, but you know, there were some health issues uh, for one thing, and and um, I don't know that it was the school's fault, but my oldest son, he just kept a chronic sinus infection just chronic and um you know we're different we're a little hippy dippy and and i was raised uh with both uh western uh pharmacology uh, you know going to a, a modern doctor but also uh, herbalism and alternative medicines and um, a practitioner that we went to uh, he told us he said your son's problem isn't necessarily histamine it's uh, or, or, or viral bacterial infection is stress. And he just can't fight anything off. It was, um, it, it, he just stayed constantly stressed. He's not good with pressure with, with testing and, or let me, you know, the common core and the standardized tests and the model of government approach to education. He just didn't operate very well in that. My other son, on the other hand, um, he just actually performs much better hands-on, um, not necessarily sitting at a desk all day, but on his feet, moving around. And uh, we spend time with them. You know, they'll they'll do a little bit of school and then we'll uh, send them down to the, the gym and do a workout. Um, they'll do a wad and then come back and then do a little bit more school. And um, then we'll send them out to feed the goats and spend time out outdoors. And so for us, it's it's it is homeschooling, but we're a little bit more free range with it. And mm -hmm. um, I guess, I, you know, Danny in, in Mount Vega, we've talked about this a little bit about the concept of unschooling. Um, and so the approach of just uh, not not allowing your kids to lead, but being sensitive to their interests, their strengths and their weaknesses and kind of guiding them based on uh, those qualities. Yeah. So is there like with with you, is it like any type of organized curriculum that you're following at all or is it is it mostly just kind of uh led as you see fit uh well it's kind of both hand. we do we use curriculum um from a company a, a publisher called um apologia mm -hmm. and so and it, we use classical education um curriculum um and i'm trying to think one of the things that we do of course they're going to have the 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 english 
writing, math, all those basics, but we also look at their interests um, and help to guide that. So my, my, my oldest son is into engineering. He likes to build, construct, and engineer things. Mm-hmm. My younger son is into herpetology, which is not what I thought it was when I first heard about herpetology. Uh, <laughs> he had to educate me on that. It has nothing to do with venereal disease. Um, it's the study of amphibians and lizards and, and reptiles. And so we then order books and curriculum for him based on biology and, and, uh, and things like that. So it kind of lets them lead. And, you know, actually, and one of the goals that I have I don't, I want to get out of homeschooling somewhat and I want to get into uh, global schooling. Have you heard of this? I have not. Uh, so you still homeschool, but you, you do it, you take your kids around the world. And I realized last year, I was in so many different countries last year that it was a struggle to remember where I was coming from and where I was going to next. But, um, as going by myself, the kids were at the, were at home and I thought, man, this is, this is where, this is what they need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, they need to be by my side, coming to these countries, learning culture, learning their studies while abroad during these developmental years. I think that would be a quality education. I'm incredibly fascinated by this because I feel like exposure and experiences like that I mean, you, you can learn so much more through hands-on practical application than you ever, ever could in a textbook. And I, there's definitely things in a textbook that you need to know, but I feel like that is just so much more enriching than following a standard curriculum that most schools are pushing out the door right now. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it gives us the opportunity to teach them other things, you know, like um, my my 15-year-old, you know, part of <laughs> – come on, we're going to change the oil, right? You're going to learn how to change the oil on this truck because you're not going to have your driver's license. You're not going to drive unless you're able to change the oil, change the battery, change tires. So we've got uh, shop class. Mm-hmm. We've got animal husbandry because we've got the farm animals. And so it's, they're, they're, they're over the animals. They have charge over the animals. So they're, they're raising, uh, we got t- uh, 10 new chicks the other day that they're, they're raising they've got the goats that they're raising they get the mature chickens that they tend to and um so yeah that's that's under their care um and so we get to go out and and just do more i feel like more more things that translate to the world to to living and operating in the world totally what got you into having like the like homesteading operation with animals what was the motivation for that yeah well i was always you know growing up on a farm we were we were the the size of our farm was to make a living mm-hmm. uh so tobacco hay um cattle um i got into the idea i realized that my grandparents had it right um small scale farming for sustainable livings where it's at you know you're able to um be in contact with your own food it doesn't change hands you raise it you kill it you process it you eat it uh, or grow it and preserve it or can it and you eat it um i can't think of a better way to live man i mean to me that's that's legit that's where it is and um so again that wasn't necessarily a change of mentality but uh because we always raised a garden we we would kill a beef we would share that beef with family you know go in half um on a processed beef or we would um slaughter the hog and i remember as a kid just uh, i can still remember the smell of packing ham uh, the smell of the spices and, and everything and just those memories. And so I felt like that was an important thing for us as a family, for for my kids, that they have that close contact with their food. Um, so, yeah, uh, we I wish we could do more of it right now. We, we were doing more of it in Kentucky where we had more land, um, but we're kind of getting back to it now here in Asheville, uh, growing it a little bit more. Do you do like a lot of vegetation? I mean, I know carnivore is super hot right now, and I think a lot of the knocks against vegetation come from this large-scale mass-produced food. But I feel like if you're growing your own stuff, you can really mitigate a lot of the risk there. You know, I grew up, we used to, like my mom and dad, they would raise a lot of corn mm-hmm. and um, potatoes and things. And, and there's cer- certain garden vegetables that I do cut out. I don't raise any corn because I don't eat corn. 
Um, I don't raise white potatoes because I don't eat those. And so, you know, as a ketogenic, um, as I eat ketogenically, I'm eating ketogenic vegetables. Um, so, and we're doing a lot of herbs. My wife is an herbalist. And so a lot of our homestead or a lot of our gardening has to do with uh, growing plants that can be used not only as food, but as medicine. Um, but right now, not eating any vegetables. So, um, but you know, it's winter, so who cares? We're not growing anything. Yeah. It's a good time to be carnivore. Yeah, totally. Totally. I want to get into the herbs, man, because herbs like, like plant-based medicinal properties have always, has always fascinated me. I remember reading a book about, um, the Amazon Indians way back when I was a kid and all the stuff they would use for uh, medicine. And I feel like we're starting to kind of go back that direction, but you know, with your wife being an herbalist, what are some things that y'all use or incorporate uh, from a medicinal standpoint that a lot of people probably are not aware of? Yeah, um, it's funny that you bring, like today we're mailing out a package, uh, sending a bottle of, it's a tincture that she made, sending it to Kentucky. My dad's been, my dad has been battling a respiratory, respiratory uh, situation for a while. He's had this lingering cough and now he's got um, slight um, heavy breath or whatever. And, uh, so she's made this tincture called mucilin. Uh, really interesting. Um, there's a, there's a lichen that grows on the trees down here. And when it blows off the tree, you'll find it on the ground. You'll know it's, it's ready. You can pick it up and she'll, it'll take about, I guess, six weeks, I think to, she puts it in moonshine. Um, because the alcohol extracts the compounds from the lichen mm -hmm. and makes this tincture called mucilin. And we've been using that uh, in our family here recently. We had a friend who had pneumonia and we had um, shared some with him and, and anecdotally, you know, there's, he, we can't provide reports or science base, but anecdotally he said that it, it relieved his pneumonia um, better than any medication that he had been on. And uh, so we had another friend contact us today. Her kids are dealing with upper respiratory and uh, some colds, fighting some colds, and ask for some of this stuff. Uh, so that's been that's been pretty cool. We've got right now in our refrigerator. We're eating uh, elderberry gummies that she made. She just made some elderberry extract with um, collagen, or I'm sorry, gelatin, and uh, so that's delicious. Just pop one in our mouth and help build our immune system. So I just ordered a whole bunch of gelatin as like a filler food to kind of you know, get me through these lower calories. So what, how are you making that? Just like one part gelatin, one part elderberry extract, or what is that? Oh goodness. I'm not sure what her mixture was. She actually made it and I'm eating it. <laughs> it's pretty good though, I bet. <laughs> it, it is. It's because like, I was, she was a refrigerator and I gave it to my son and said, here, you need to eat this. And I kind of turned his nose up and I said, oh, I think they're really good. And uh, she said, well, you only need one. And I said, oh, I eat like five. <laughs> yeah, those those gummies are addicting, man. I mean, the with beef gelatin, I mean, it's like ten yes. grams of protein, so very minimal, uh, you know, caloric load, and whatever you want to pair it with. I mean, I can see that you know herb uh, makes like an elderberry that being pretty pretty beneficial. Yeah, it's handy. It's handy to have have around. Um, I was just reading today. It came to my attention. You know, you you gather information and you don't. You kind of put it in the back of your head and bring it out when you need it. But with the coronavirus and people talking about the respiratory situation, I'd remembered an herb that I'd used uh, to help people stop smoking mm -hmm. uh, called lobelia. Um, it's a plant. It's in. It, you can get it in capsule form, um, and it is quite effective in not just not just helping people get off of smoking cigarettes but breaking up the, the mucus mm -hmm. and uh, just helping the lungs to clear clear up. And so um, I've been thinking about that today for a lot of people that if they are concerned about respiratory, that'd be a good one. Yeah, that's huge, man. That's huge. You've also been doing a lot of work on like the you know genetic side of things. Do you want to kind of dive into that a little bit? Yeah, that's like, that's my, that's my jam right now, Robert. You know that. I mean, yeah, let's, I'm let's so excited. Roll about up our sleeves, that. man. Give me some insight. So, you know, I've been, I've spent several years now as a personal trainer digging into the science. I'm, I don't want to just, 
uh, throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks, but that's kind of the name of the game. You know, you take a client and you start uh, programming their nutrition, their macros, calories, whatever you, you want to do, however you want to do it, and uh, their workout, and you watch their, you know, you watch how they respond, and then you track it and you tweak it however you need to. And all of it, all of that is really a guessing game, but it's, it's really no different than, than what doctors, you know, they're, um, they're pulling labs, they're taking blood, um, they're checking vitals, and they're following the symptoms uh, to try to find the root cause. Mm -hmm. So um, when I had the opportunity to get into epigenetics coaching, it blew my mind. Um, several years ago, they had conducted what's called the Human Genome Project, where they successfully mapped out the entire human genome. And, uh, you know, now we have the ability, of course, since then, companies have gotten started like uh, My23andMe, Ancestry.com, and, and things like that. And those are, those are good, but they're very, very, very basic, uh, just very basic raw data. Uh, but now we've got companies like Aperon, who I'm, uh, who I've gone through and uh, working through, and the ability to take someone's uh, DNA to map it out into these categories that shows their actual design. Like, how do they, uh, for instance, their their nutrition? How genetically do they respond uh, to macronutrients, to micronutrients, um, to minerals? Uh, how do they methylate? How do they acetylate? Um, or, you know, or absorb? How do they? Um, what are, like their hormones? You know, how do, how does their body respond hormonally? A lot of interesting things. Um, it, man, it's just got me nerded out. I'm just it just blows my mind how much information a person can gather um, just from taking a saliva swab. It's so cool. Yeah, it is. It is truly mind blowing, man. Because there is just so much data there how how do you differentiate between you know like the, the both ends of the spectrum because i feel there's got to be like a dichotomy that exists because we're all individuals we all have such g different genetic codes and you know just upbringings and you have epigenetics that come into play but then at the same time what we're, we're all humans so i feel like there's got to be a balancing act in, in which case you know what is the proper human you know, diet or, you know, fitness regimen that would apply to most people? Like, where does that balance lie, I guess? That's always been a question of mine. Like, what is the, what is the perfect human diet? And I'm in an area where everybody argues that. Mm -hmm. um, not only in the nutrition space where people are arguing, is it keto? Is it paleo? Is it this or that? Or even now carnivore. But the area that I live in, in Asheville, people still argue face to face. Um, and so I've done different diets, tested blood markers before intra and post and, and measured hormones and different biomarkers to see how much percent DNA. I mean, that's exactly the same. Uh, but that, that minuscule amount that is different is what sets us apart from one another, uh, our height, our skin color, our hair color, uh, but even our appetite signaling, um, is different because of DNA. Uh, even our neurotransmitter upregulation or deregulation, DNA. You know all these all these environmental factors, toxins. Um, we 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 now know that part of what affects a person's diet is is outside environmental um, presence. You know, so whether it's mold or mercury or um, you know certain histamine um, inflammatory causes or um you know uh smoke for instance the way a person detoxifies um pollute pollutants is going to affect diet it's going to affect sleep uh sleep is going to affect other hormone reactions and so um i find that it it reminds me how human we are um the individual the bio individuality of each human being and how how fragile uh, but how unique it is. And so it helps me to respect each person as a very different person, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I feel like that is, is hugely advantageous information. No, I feel like if you know your foundation, your base, you can kind of adjust course and, and subject yourself to the environmental factors that are going to optimize for that with the tools you're given. Um, I feel like so many people lean on that as a crutch that, that 
<laughs> does them a disservice. Like they'll just blame it all on genetics and they'll just give up, uh, which I don't think either of us want to see. No, and that's that's what is so fascinating about this is it helps one it helps us to define here's what your genetics are but with epigenetics coaching it helps people to see that you're not bound by your genetics yeah just because you were born with this dna this quote unquote dna that doesn't that doesn't dictate your life you can epigenetically speaking you can turn on a gene you can turn off a gene but if you don't know what genes need to be turned on and turned off then then you're not able to really optimize i don't think to your potential anyway and so with this science uh we have so much more of an advantage to look into a person's biology and and help them to see here's a snip here's a here here is a, a variant in your gene and this is what it's causing okay we can change your diet or we can change your supplementation and we can change the expression of that gene so that it's no longer doing this disservice to your health. It's now doing um, a service to benefit your health. Totally agree. I, I was really, my eyes were really opened to how big an impact um, epigenetics really plays. I had uh, Dr. Anthony J on the podcast, and then I actually spent the weekend hunting with him, and we did a deep dive into you know, the different like phytoestrogens, artificial estrogens, how those can have an epigenetic effect on not only you, but your offspring and their offspring. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's scary kind of, man. Like if you don't, if you don't give that the respect it deserves and really try and get that dialed in, then you can have a pretty significant impact on people outside of yourself. And I feel like knowing that and being conscious of it and being proactive against any adverse effect is one of the more responsible things you can do as a human. Yeah. So, so, all right. So this opens up a great conversation because for one, I'm against CRISPR, the idea of genetically engineering, right? Like to create a dog that glows in the dark, mm -hmm. not, a, not for Frankenstein science. Right. But <laughs> there is a responsibility when you're a parent, if you have the means, because I think about this here, th here's a great example. I've got autoimmune. I've got hereditary angioedema. It's it's a mutation in the F12 gene. It sucks. It is debilitating. Uh, I now have it in remission. Praise God. I've I've been able to turn the switch and turn that gene off. And so I'm I'm in remission. The thing is though is that when the symptoms started to occur in my life with this hereditary angioedema, it was the it was around about the time that I was having kids. Mhm. Mm and so now I'm really concerned because I could have very easily, and I may have, I'm going to find out here soon because I'm getting ready to, uh, I'm getting ready to, to test both the boys and, and read their genetics. Um, and I'm, you know, so my goal is to find out, did I inadvertently pass that gene that mutated variant and or that I shouldn't say, mutated, but that variant onto mm -hmm. them. And with something, yeah, like, you say? with something like CRISPR, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically we have the technology to now go in and turn on and off certain gene expressions in like the embryo before those yeah. ever fully develop, which is got to, I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely kind of playing with the, uh, that's playing God. Yeah. That's kind of playing, that's playing <laughs> a little bit outside it, our realm. That's Yeah. Let's call it what it is. That's dangerous. Uh, I don't know any geneticist that would. I don't know any moral geneticist that would sign off on that. The thing is, though, is that you can actually order kits and do these do this stuff in your garage. Like, there's a documentary, and I don't remember the name of it now on Netflix. You'll just have to search it. But this dude is in his garage with petri dishes and beakers, and he's creating weird stuff. Like it's dangerous. I'm not sure that I don't like theologically speaking. I'm not sure how far God's going to let that go. It just seems like Tower of Babel stuff. Like. Like mankind's trying to play God, and then and then he's never really let, let that go too far. Well, I just feel like I mean I'm all for you know advancements in science and medicine, and let's learn as much as we possibly can, and then be as proactive as we possibly can. But there's got to be a point at which there's just no way of knowing what the long term outcome of this this is, because I mean we've adapted over jillions of years to, to work and function a certain way and to just totally rewrite that code, 
you know, on a whim at the drop of a hat in your garage. I mean, that just seems kind of obscure to me. It's, it's messed up. That's my viewpoint. That's messed up. So, um, yeah, because, I don't know. yeah, because creation <laughs> is left up to uh, individual morality. And to be honest with you, Robert, I don't trust individual morality. I don't trust another guy with the creation of another life, like yeah. what that looks like. Um, because there, Hitler wasn't the last Hitler. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, honestly, it, it's good, in my opinion, to have some of these less than desirable cards dealt to you in life because that gives you some adversity that's necessary to build up a resilience and, and work towards improving that deck of cards. I feel like if you just have your hands in the pot and you, you know, engineer this perfect setting for yourself then you're not really doing yourselves any long-term favors well i'm like you I, what 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 does the future look like with that mm-hmm. um I, I i i seriously can't fathom i don't know i can't i can't even imagine where that road leads and i really don't want to yeah i think i'll stick to optimizing what epigenetic effects i can such as yeah. properly it's like it's like what are we training. dealing with we've got we've got crispr technology and ai yeah it's not looking good for the human race <laughs> it yeah. is definitely going to be a shade of gray for sure for <laughs> sure we'll talk about your book man what uh kind of give me give me some some motivation behind that like what what led you to write that and then just for anybody interested in getting a copy kind of give them a little overview a little synopsis Right. Thank you. I appreciate that plug. It's called The Food God, uh, Food's Connection to a Creator, uh, to Community, and Individual Health uh, or Personal Health. And so I started working with a group um, last year or early the year before last, or I mean, sorry, late the year before last, called Total Fit. And the reason I've been doing a lot of traveling around the world is, is going with Total Fit and teaching nutrition and recovery specifically Mm -hmm. this is functional fitness this is but it's holistic the the model the basis is holistic so it's body mind and spirit um that this is the model that they feel is optimal health i would agree and so i'm teaching this material but i'm writing the articles and i'm even starting to write the curriculum and they're asking me and and saying you know is this written down anywhere what you're teaching uh at the at that point it wasn't and so there was kind of this push would you help us? This is this is teaching that we would like to include, that we would like to teach, that we would like to have as a part of our movement around the world. Uh, would you consider starting to write something? And so I began to write these articles, and they started to compile, and I just kind of got that pressure. Uh, why don't you write a book? I have never written a book. Um, I've never fancied myself as an author. I'm a podcaster, uh, public speaker. Sure, that's easy, but uh, I've never sat down to write a book. Mm-hmm. And so the process began, it was kind of slow. I was just putting thoughts down and thinking through some things and put it off for a while. And uh, then eventually it, it just kind of got picked up last year uh, again. And I just decided, you know, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to push through and get this thing done. And so finally, I uh, finally got it done. It came out March 1st of this year. Uh, so it's just fresh out on the market and starting to gain a little bit of traction. But it is seeing food like um it's not it doesn't prescribe a specific diet it just is more mindset how do you approach food and why we need to see food in a holistic manner that food of course we know that food um it influences our physical health but i think a lot of people don't realize how much it influences our emotional health and our spiritual health and uh, so building relationship with the creator or, or breaking that relationship with the creator, uh, with building relationship with community and, and growing that relationship with community. Uh, so all the different factors of food and, and helping people to see a better relationship with food. Um, I, I really spend some time in the book demonizing commercial made uh, garbage mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not even food. Because uh, I just think that that needs to be brought out to our attention that what we're a lot of us are eating is not food, but if we would eat actual food, um, unaltered, untainted, whole, clean food, that our bodies will respond correctly. And it's kind of like this: um, you, you kick the little stone out from underneath the large stone. You know, you get that in place, everything starts to rock and roll at that point. 
I love it. I think having the more holistic view towards food is absolutely key, man. I mean, I, I used to put food on a pedestal. I used to let it control my life. And that is so common. Like, that is so much more common than people realize. And when you view things like that, when you view food like that, when you put it on such a pedestal, it runs your life and nothing good comes from it. Whereas if you can have that healthy relationship with it and understand, you know, what it's actually there for and how to optimize for it, like you, it's liberating. I mean, you can get your life back. Yeah. And that's my hope for everyone that they'll just uh, reevaluate, reassess, uh, recalibrate, get back to, I think, a healthy relationship with food, uh, use it as medicine, but also use it as um, relationship building. Um, just just use it the way that it was intended. Totally agree. And and where is that available? Is it online or where do people go to get a copy? It is. It's kind of everywhere. Uh, you can get it at Amazon. Um, just search The Food God on Amazon, but uh, you can order it from any bookstore. If they don't have it on their shelf, they'll order it for you. Love it. Love it. Well, one more question for you, man. What are you working on, you know, outside of everything we've already talked about that you're incredibly excited about and just ready to dive into? Where's the next area? Where, where's the next of the seven pillars that you're adding to? Hmm. Oh, my goodness, the seven pillars. I, you know, right now is I'm still just the, the epigenetics is so new, like that's building. And, <laughs> you know, I told you I'm a podcaster and a, and a public speaker. That's 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 what I'm comfortable at. That's what I'm comfortable doing. But intellectually speaking, I guess, I, I think this would fall under the intellectual is learning something new. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've never really l- learned or educated myself on is m- digital marketing. And so and I think in order to get the epigenetics um, movement going, because I think it's, I think it's the future of health, to be honest with you, I think we're, we're going to be able to bypass and mitigate a lot of a lot of our healthcare woes but just by having the information at hand of our dna how do i get this out how do i really market this well i suck as a digital marketer like i'm horrible at it i'm not really good at instagram facebook um and i'm not really comfortable behind a camera and so vlogging and all that stuff so right now i'm just digging in and just trying to figure all that stuff out and become better at it so that I can get that content out and help people to understand uh, the importance uh, or the benefit of it. Content is huge, man. I mean, one thing I've learned in in business thus far is like, there's so many different mediums out there. You've got, you know, the written word, you've got, you know, podcast, audio, you got visual video, and there's just so many different social platforms on which to publish that content. But if you have something to say, if you have value to add, then, Again, kind of going back to what our responsibility is, like you're being selfish for holding it inside. you got to find a way that, that you feel called to get it out there and impact more people in a positive way. And you have a great message. I have utmost respect for you as a person and what you're doing. So I'm excited to see, you know, what what medium you kind of gravitate to. And I'm excited to watch you start pumping it out there, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um yeah, I, I'm. I don't know what this next year is going to look like. I, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to work hard. I do believe in the content wholeheartedly. I want to get the book out and inspire people, and I want to get this um, product. I don't want to call it a product, but I want to get this um, service out uh, for collecting DNA and helping to coach people because we've got the ability. I've got the ability to coach them in their entire, you know, the whole life, um, physical and nutritional. You know, we went through all that, but environmental. And uh, so this year is going to be interesting. See what all that looks like, how it plays out. And and what is the, like, how do people get a hold of you if they're interested in the, in the genetic uh, effects? Like, how do they learn about that? Yeah, all that is really easy. I mean, right now, all they have to do is shoot me an email at trentholbert at gmail.com. Awesome. Uh, they can visit my website, which doesn't have the information of the genetics on there just yet, but it does have my other coaching services at trentholbertfitness.com well i'm gonna i'm gonna get this genetic test done on myself and we'll do a we'll do a follow-up podcast and i'll have you like analyze everything online or something like that i think that'd be some pretty interesting information that people can dig into sounds good it's gonna be over 80 pages worth of uh information (laughs) well we'll buckle in for a long podcast then man (laughs) it's always a pleasure talking with you man it's great always um just enjoy everything you're doing uh enjoying the keto bricks 
So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I appreciate you. Like you, you're unique in the space and that, you know, you have a very, uh, just interesting twist on things and it's refreshing interacting with you because it's not the same as everyone else. I feel like you've got your own style. You know what works well for you. You don't feel like you have to, you know, fit the status quo. You're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. So know that the way you're doing things and the person you are is very much so appreciated. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that, Robert. Thank you so much. You bet, Trim. Well, until next time, man, you keep killing it and keep in touch, brother.